Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Becky Brown. I'm one of the associate pastors here at First United Methodist Church in Waynesville, North Carolina. You're about to listen to the sermon from worship this week. You can also watch this service online through our YouTube channel. You can just search FUMC Waynesville on YouTube or join us in person at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. every Sunday. Thanks for listening, and we hope this sermon challenges, inspires, and invigorates your faith. May God bless you. As usual, I've read up to my eyeballs about first century law, the powers of the Jewish council, and the psyche of Pontius Pilate. And as usual, there is a good bit of scholarly disagreement about some minor points. Did the Jewish council have the power to impose capital punishment? Could the crowd that was shouting crucify him have included the same people who were shouting Hosanna just a few days before? Did the trial happen in this place or that place? But what was unusual was the unity and symmetry of agreement about the cause of Christ's crucifixion. I will let these scholars, these commentators, tell you in their own words, and you can be thinking about any parallels to our world today. The reason for Jesus' death arises from his conflict with those in charge of human affairs, the religious and political authorities. The authorities must kill Jesus to protect themselves and their traditions and their laws. Another says, the crowd, a sheep without a shepherd, were between conflicting revolutionary claims, a kingdom vision by Jesus or a restoration vision by Barabbas, that is to say, a return to what were presumed to be better years of earlier rulers. But it was only an apparent choice. Those who have arranged the contest actually hold the power and have no intention of giving it up. Both candidates are prisoners. The crowd is being manipulated to play into the hands of the status quo. In Mark's Gospel, contempt for the religious authorities is clear. They will build opportunistic coalitions with anyone, even the hated Romans, in order to eliminate Jesus, who poses a real threat to their social power. And finally this, responsibility for the death of Jesus lies with those who participate in the deceit and power politics that permit the casual sacrifice of innocent persons. Such phenomenon has not vanished from our world. Indeed, it has not. It seems that Jesus lived in a world that's not all that different from the world we live in. We do not have to look too hard to find examples of the crowd being manipulated. We are being offered limited options or simplistic answers to complex issues so that we can endlessly debate while keeping things just as they are.
we are still struggling and probably always will be between the kingdom vision of Jesus, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, and the restoration vision of those who want the world to go back to what they perceive as better times. At least they were better times for them, with their power and their privilege unchecked and unchanged, and with the others, whoever they are, excluded from decisions about the world we all live in. As Jesus said of the scribes and the Pharisees, they have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faith. In speaking of Christ as our high priest, the letter to the Hebrews had it right. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. And in speaking of Christ as the coming suffering service, the prophet Isaiah had it right. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. In 1990, Crosley Green was convicted and sentenced to death by an all-white jury for the murder of a young white man, even though there was no physical evidence connecting him to the crime and on the basis of testimony from only one eyewitness, the victim's ex-girlfriend. Crosley Green is 65 years old now and has spent 32 years, half his lifetime, in prison, 19 of those years on death row. He had been offered a plea bargain, a 10-year sentence if he would confess to the crime, but he refused to confess to something that he did not do. After 32 years, he was eligible for parole but the parole board requires an expression of remorse. And Mr. Green said he cannot express remorse for something he did not do. In 2018, Mr. Green's conviction was overturned when it was revealed that prosecutors withheld evidence, the notes from the first officers at the scene of the crime that showed their suspicions of the ex-girlfriend, the very same one and only eyewitness to the crime. Mr. Green has been on conditional release since April 2021, surrounded by his family and enjoying the company of his grandchildren. But there has been another ruling and he may be ordered to return to prison. At the end of February of this year, the Supreme Court refused to hear his case. Black man, all-white jury, no evidence, guilty verdict, severe punishment. To those of us who lived through the civil rights era of the 1960s, it looks like deja vu all over again. Actually, it looks like Isaiah all over again. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away.
the case of Crosley Green is not attracting attention just because the case has been refused by the Supreme Court. Unless you are a lawyer, and maybe even if you are, you probably don't understand all the constitutional law issues that pertain to this case. Nor is the case attracting attention as if Mr. Green were the first black man ever in our history to be found guilty of a crime without evidence by an all-white jury. It is not Mr. Green's legal case that is attracting attention. Rather, it is his demeanor, his behavior throughout an ordeal that has taken half of his life. There is something royal, dignified, calm, even gracious about it. I love my freedom, he said at the time of his release. And with the future uncertain, he is urging his family to stay strong. They are. They are making their appeals with respect and dignity. No news media would dare make this observation publicly, but his behavior is Christ-like, and as such, it is rare. That's why it's on the news. People are amazed by his demeanor, his control, by his confidence, even in a system that appears to have betrayed him. Two millennia earlier, Pontius Pilate was amazed at the man before him. Pilate had no doubt seen his share of prisoners trembling and begging and pleading before the power of imperial Rome. But this man before Pilate was different. Pilate was amazed, not in our modern, watered-down version of the world, of the word where everything is awesome or amazing. He was amazed in the New Testament sense of the word. Amazed is the word that described the disciples in the boat after Jesus stilled the storm. They asked themselves, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The wind and the waves don't obey Mr. Green. He is not Christ, and neither he nor I nor anyone else is making him out to be. He is imperfect and flawed and sinful, just like the rest of us. But he has offered for us an example of Christ-like behavior during what appears to be a modern instance of a perversion of justice. Here again are words from 1 Peter. But if you endure, when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Thanks be to God. Amen.